listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for October 10th, 2021, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Money may not buy happiness, but it can buy quite a few books on finding happiness through reducing your clutter. Just listen to a few titles that have hit the bookstores over the last several years. There's Upscale Downsizing, the guide to helping you discover your new minimum. Then there's Unstuff Your Life, or The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, The Joy of Less, and Lighten Up. There's The Sentimental Person's Guide to Decluttering. Or how about It's All Too Much, an easy plan for living a richer life with less. Then there's The Upside of Downsizing, or how about Clear your clutter with feng shui. Or goodbye things, the new Japanese minimalism. And for one more, don't toss my memories in the trash, a step-by-step guide to helping seniors downsize, organize, and move. There are many more. These are just the tip of the iceberg. And books like these came to mind this week as I pondered this painful exchange in Mark's gospel between Jesus and the man who has many possessions. Truly, I tell you, Jesus might have won this guy over if he had said to him instead, sell everything you have that doesn't spark joy and come, follow me. Instead, Jesus out Marie Kondo's Marie Kondo. The man thinks he has it all, but Jesus says he still lacks one thing. He challenges the rich man to go and sell everything he has and give the money to the poor, and he will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. It is hard enough for most people merely to downsize, witness the entire industry that has been built up around this modern challenge. So the idea of offloading everything we own is either the best idea yet, cutting out all the emotional labor of sorting and sifting and decision-making, or more likely, it is out of the question. We've been faced with quite a few challenging passages from Mark over the last several weeks, but today's is by far one of the most challenging. Of course, every preacher says that every week. (laughs) But it is. It rattles the nerves and piques the conscience. It angers some and scares others to death. Few, if they are paying attention, can have a neutral response to today's passage. And as the verses we read today from the letter of Hebrews says, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Before the word, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare. So let's cut to the chase. Is Jesus speaking these words literally or figuratively here? Is he speaking just to this one guy, or is he speaking to you and to me also? I think the answers are all yes. Ever the paradoxical, hyperbolic wisdom teacher, Jesus, the Word of God personified, meets all of us right where our consciences disturb us, right where the clumps of debris keep the river in our souls from flowing. What Jesus is addressing in his conversation with the rich man is not the man's money and things per se, but rather his inability to let go of his attachments 
to money and things. And the shock of what Jesus asks the man to do reveals the man's spiritual bottom line, just as it does to all of us. For this man, his wealth was the ultimate source of confidence, his wall of defense, his comfort, and his security. He dared not let it go. For some of us, it might likewise be, help, be wealth that we cling to. But for others, it's a political position or a certainty that we are right in all that we oppose or all that we stand for. Or it's our appearance or our position or our social standing. Yet for others, an ultimate attachment might be our personal narrative, our successes, or for some, it might even be a lifetime of failures and regrets or secrets by which we have come to define ourselves, such that to let go of them as our defining narrative would require a new way of seeing and being. When it comes to our most deeply rooted attachments, letting go of them feels impossible. No matter what we cling to internally, and we cling to a whole host of things, it is still possible outwardly to keep the commandments the way the rich man says he has done since his youth. It is within our power to keep from killing or lying or cheating or committing adultery. We can honor our parents and even love our neighbors as best we can. These are things that can be hard, but generally within our power to do. And the commandments might be to us what they were to the rich man in the story, rules to follow that might even earn us the admiration of others or make us feel confident that we're checking all the right boxes. But we can do all that and still miss the abundant life the commandments are meant to guide us into. The difference between merely checking the boxes of the commandments and living an abundant and free life is the difference between a one-off spiritual experience and total spiritual transformation. It's the difference between doing and being. The 20th century mystic Evelyn Underhill said, we mostly spend our lives conjugating these three verbs, to want, to have, and to do, forgetting that none of these have any ultimate significance except so far as they are transcended by and included in the fundamental verb to be. The rich man knelt before Jesus to ask him what could he do to inherit eternal life. But for Jesus, eternal life is not merely a list of things to do. It is first and foremost a way of seeing and a way of being. The man has kept all the commandments from his youth, and still he's missing something. He's a doer. He wants, and he has, and he does. And all these things keep him very occupied, but unfulfilled. And he asks Jesus, what more can he possibly do to inherit eternal life? This word inherit is a fitting choice for a man whose whole world centers upon his wealth and his rule following. And it's striking to me that to inherit something, someone usually has to die. And indeed, someone does have to die. The rich man has to die. As Jesus so often teaches, you have to lose yourself in order to gain yourself. 
The rich man is built on this false self. His narrative of perfect behavior and high net worth and that, that self must die. He has to let go of his grip on it so that his true self, his true being, can be set free to live and to thrive. We all live largely according to our false selves. We all have attachments that clutter our inner state of being and cloud our hearts from seeing. Just as for the rich man, for any of us to inherit eternal life, we have to let go of the grip on our false attachments. To die to our false selves is to release our grip on wanting and having and doing and find out what it means to be, to exist without all our stuff, our mental, emotional, and material clutter. We can possess things, but more to the point, our things can possess us. Indeed, they can obsess us, but they can never define our true selves. Jesus says to the rich man, let go of everything you are attached to, and you will see that eternal life is right here in front of you, ready to be lived in. You will awaken to a whole new way of being, a whole new way of seeing what true wealth can be. You will have riches in heaven, that is, in this eternal way of being and seeing. Most often, we associate the term eternal life with the afterlife. But for Jesus, eternal life is underway. It is already here, all around us. It's what Jesus called the kingdom of God, or the realm of God. And if it's really eternal, it has as much to do with the here and now as it does with our lives beyond the grave. That's what eternal means, no beginning and no end. Eternity, by definition, already is. It is a realm of being, a state of consciousness, a way of seeing. It's a path of humility and fearless generosity that takes joy in sharing and giving freely to anyone in need or trouble. To paraphrase the theologian Paul Tillich, if eternity is not seen in the present, it cannot be seen at all. Jesus is in the business of transforming our way of seeing the world and seeing that eternal life is ours for the taking. Jesus loves us enough to transform us from the competitive humans we can be, possessed by wanting and having and doing, into loving, generous, compassionate beings. For all the shock and grief and impossible challenge contained in this story, in the end, I believe the most important verse in our gospel today is the one that says Jesus looked at him, looked at the rich man, and loved him. The man goes away shocked and grieving, and we don't get to know the rest of his story. But it is simply not possible that the man went away from his encounter with Jesus unchanged. I can't help imagining that Jesus' love for the rich man awakened his conscience and led him to begin to question everything. I can't help imagining that he never related to his riches or to the poor in the same way again. With one look, Jesus saw through all of this man's need to want and to have and to do and loved him into that fundamental verb, to be. 
Yes, this rich man went away grieving and grieving the reality that everything he had spent his life wanting and having and doing was false compared to the divine love that would give him his very being. And if I know anything about grief, it's quite possible the rich man's grief was actually the beginning of his transformation. The mystics say great love and great sorrow are two primary paths of transformation. This man experiences both at once with Jesus' words to him. And Jesus looks at us too and loves us with great love. Take the time, take courage to consider the things that you possess that possess you. Let go and let love bring you into true being, into eternal life with God that begins now. And may God's love alone be all that possesses us. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.